What's happening, my far, far away family? How is everyone doing today? We hope everything is well on your side of the galaxy. Same old thing out here beyond the outer rim. Actually, nothing of any excitement is happening. Oh, I did see a Star Destroyer fall by last week, which I thought was pretty odd. Why would an Empire ship be way out here? Especially now that the Empire has been defeated. Some pirates probably stole it or something like that. But enough with all that, we have a story to get to. Because when we left off last week, Bane had just survived a battle with the Techno Beast. And he had obtained Darzu's holocron. So let's see what's going on with him now. I thought you had put this madness behind you, Johan. Farfalla said, with a disappointed shake of his head. It's not madness, Johan insisted. He was their master. He saw it with his own eyes. Farfalla sighed and got up from his seat and began to pace, making small tight circles over the carpet of his private quarters. Johan remained in his seat, focusing on staying calm and letting his arguments be guided by logic and reason. How did Hoth deal with your headstrong ways? Valentine asked, stopping to throw up his hands in exasperation. Your personalities are quite different, Johan remarked. Hoth often accused me of being too passive. Farfalla shook his head again and returned to his seat. Are you certain this witness is reliable? He asked, alluding to the mercenaries Johan had wanted to bring forward ten years before. Johan nodded. All the details of his story check out. He calls himself Daravit now, but back then he was known as Tomcat. Records confirm he was recruited on Somavarit by Tor Snappet, and he came with his cousins to join the Army of Light. And one of these cousins is the girl he claims took his hand. A girl ten years ago, Johan noted. She'd be a woman now. The cousin's name was Rain. She was lost in an attack by the Sith shortly after they landed on Rusan. She was missing and presumed dead, but she must have been found by this Lord Bane and taken as his apprentice. I've heard that name before, Farfalla admitted, leaning back in his chair. It was mentioned in some of the statements given by Sith minions we took as prisoners. If I remember correctly, he was one of the last of the Sith to join the Brotherhood. Johan nodded. Daravid said the same thing. He said Bane was always reluctant to follow Khan. If he refused to join the rest of the Brotherhood in the cave, that would explain how he survived the Thought Bomb. It's possible, Farfalla admitted. But how did Daravit recognize Bane? He defected to the Sith near the end of the war. Farfalla threw his hands up again. A defector, Johan? A traitor to the Jedi? The Council will never believe this. That is what makes a story even more believable, Johan countered. If he was lying, he could easily have found some reason to explain how he recognized Lord Bane. But he has freely admitted his crime to me because he has decided the time has come to speak the truth. And why is that? Farfalla wanted to know. Your report said he has lived as a healer on Rusan for the past decade. Why did he suddenly decide to come forward now? When I spoke with him on Rusan, I convinced him of the dangers the Sith represent. He wants to stop Bane before another war begins. Farfalla raised an eyebrow. You convinced him? After a decade of silence, 
One meeting with you and he is ready to come forward? How exactly did you achieve that? I didn't use the force to do it, Johan protested. Not exactly. I didn't use the force to compel him. I just made him more willing to listen to me. You are making this very difficult for me, Valentine said, reaching up with one hand to rub at his temple. I only ask that you speak with him yourself, Master, Johan implored. Hear what he has to say. Listen to him and then decide if you'll bring him before the council. Very well, Johan, Parfala said, nodding. I will meet with him. Where is he now? He wanted to learn more about the healing arts of our order, Johan explained. Master Barra gave him access to the archives. Valentine slapped his hands in his thighs and rose to his feet. Then I suggest we go find him before I come to my senses. Okay, this chapter didn't even start with what's going on with Bane. It starts with Farfalla talking to Johan. He asked Johan why he is bringing back up the Sith surviving Rusan. Johan explains that there's new evidence proving that it is true. There is a witness that has seen Darth Bane. When Johan explains the detail of his investigation and the credibility of this witness, Farfalla starts to waver a bit. But the more Johan talks, the more Farfalla gets frustrated. When Johan tells him that Derevid defected to the Sith, Farfalla says, I can't bring a defector to the Jedi Council. What are you talking about? Finally, Johan just asks him to talk with Derevid, and Farfalla agrees. The general collection of the Jedi Archives was arranged in four long halls built off a massive central rotunda. Each hall contained a wide primary aisle, with hundreds of smaller secondary aisles leading off either side. Lining the walls of the secondary aisles were the stacks, trillions of data tapes and data cards arranged under millions of categories, topics, and subtopics. Access to the disks of a particular hall could be gained via any of the terminals built along the center of its main aisle. Each terminal was equipped with a master index to help those seeking knowledge on a particular subject to find the proper hall. But to make things easier, each hall also represented a specific, though very broad, branch of knowledge. The first hall, the one all visitors pass through when they enter the archives from the Jedi Temple, contained works of philosophy and historical records. Included in its stacks were the personal journals of Jedi, political leaders, and individuals of historical significance. Basic treatises examining the Force were also filed in this section, though Padawans were restricted from accessing many of these works, lest they misinterpret the knowledge and become corrupted. The second hall contained works dedicated to the mathematical and engineering sciences, including theories of space-time and hyperdrive construction, floor plans of official government buildings, and detailed design blueprints of every vehicle, weapon, or gadget ever made. The third focused on the geography and culture of the millions of known planets in the galaxy. Maps, both planetary and interstellar, as well as detailed descriptions of every recorded civilization, past and present, dominated the stacks of the third hall. However, it was the fourth hall where Xana, still in the guise of Nalia, was headed. The fourth hall contained zoological data and research on virtually all known life forms of the galaxy. This was her third day in the archives, and she had yet to find what she was looking for. The preloaded works on the data card given to her by the chief librarian had helped to narrow her search, 
But locating a specific piece of information in an infinite ocean of knowledge was no simple task. Had she gone back to Master Barra, or approached any of the analysis droids roaming the archives, and asked for information on orbalisks, rather than the more general topic of parasitic organisms, she might have made quicker progress. But this would have conflicted with her cover story, and raised unwanted questions. So Zana had been forced to seek out the information using only the skills she had developed while studying various works during her apprenticeship under Darth Bane. Her efforts had quickly brought to light several thousand articles and experiments that made at least some reference to orbalisks. But she had yet to find any mention of how to remove them without killing the host. She knew she was running out of time. But as she made her way down the first hall toward the rotunda, she was determined to find what she had come for. There were always a number of other scholars in the archives, but the primary aisles of each hall were wide, and the stacks were so numerous and deep that Xana never felt crowded. This allowed her to work without fear of anyone accidentally discovering what she was investigating. However, she still felt a flash of apprehension whenever another of the archive patrons passed her by, always worried that her projected aura of light side power would falter. She nodded at one of the analysis droids as she entered the central rotunda and turned to her right, heading for the fourth hall. She passed by the Bronzium busts honoring powerful and memorable members from the Order's history. She paused, as she often did, in front of the busts of the Lost. The only twelve individuals who had willingly set aside the vows they had sworn upon becoming Jedi Knights and chosen to leave the Order. The Lost served as a reminder to the Jedi that despite their wisdom and talents in the Force, they were not infallible. The Jedi viewed each of the Lost as a failure of their order, not as a failure of the individual. A plaque on each bust recounted the individual's history of service, praising what he or she had achieved and contributed before departing from the Jedi ranks. Curiously, though, none of the plaques offered a reason for leaving. Xana shook her head and continued. As a Sith, she couldn't imagine any reason to honor someone who abandoned her cause. Though, with only one master and one apprentice, the Sith had been transformed into something very different from the Jedi Order and its vast numbers. She made her way down the fourth hall, heading for the privacy of the last viewing terminal in the central aisle. She inserted the personal data card Master Barra had given her to gain access to the archive catalogs, and then resumed her search where she had left off the day before. Gathering a list of index numbers, she typed in a passcode to lock her terminal from other users, then wandered off into the stacks to retrieve the half a dozen data cards she wanted to study in further detail. By necessity, the data cards in the archives were nearly twice the size of her personal data card. Each one contained the full text of hundreds, if not thousands, of different titles. For five long hours, she continued her research without a break. Time and time again, she brought data cards back to the terminal and scoured their contents, only to find that they offered nothing new. Frustrated, she would eject the cards and compile a new list of possible sources, then return to the stacks to switch the old data cards for those promising better results. It was the rumbling in her stomach that told her it was time to take a break. If she became distracted, too tired or too hungry, her spell might falter exposing Xana's true nature to those around her. It had happened once before, 
on the first day when she pushed herself too hard and worked long into the night. It had lasted only an instant, a momentary lapse, but that could have been enough to doom her. Fortunately, at that late hour, the archives had been mostly deserted, and nobody had been close enough to notice the Sith in their midst. Since then, however, Xana had been much more careful. Wow, the Jedi archives sound amazing. I wish they were real and I could go and visit them. For someone that enjoys research, that would be a dream come true. And Xana was already there. She was researching the Orbalist, the crustacean that had almost consumed her master. But this task was harder than she thought. To find one fish in a sea of knowledge was a very taunting task, especially when you can't ask for help because it might blow your cover. But after hours of research, Xana becomes hungry. She knew she must eat to keep up her strength. One time she didn't eat and she let herself become weak. This allowed her spell to falter and she radiated dark side energy. It was only for a quick moment and no one was around to notice, but it could have gone very, very bad. And the Jedi would have found out about the Sith this would have made for a very bad day for her. But since then, she has been way more careful. There was one last data card to check. Then she would head down to the cafeteria and return once she had sated her hunger. She popped it into the terminal and quickly scanned the contents. When she found what she was looking for, she tapped a key. A block of text from an academic paper popped up onto the screen. An examination and exploration of a most dangerous and resilient organism by Dr. Osaf Hamoud. In my years of study, I have encountered a number of life forms that subsist primarily through symbiotic relationships established with other species. Some of these relationships are commensalist, in which neither species is significantly affected by the presence of the other. Others are mutualistic, enabling both species to benefit from their shared existence. And still others are parasitic, in which the host organism suffers while the symbiont thrives. Of course, to properly classify any symbiotic relationship into one of these three categories, we must first explicitly define the meaning of words such as harmful or beneficial, a task that many have regarded as... Xana blinked twice to clear away the stupor settling in. The Archive's general collection included everything from explorer's journals that were as exciting to browse as any well-written piece of fiction, to academic papers so dry and boring they would test the limits of a Jedi Master's patience. Apparently the works of Dr. Osaf Hamoud fell into the latter category. For a brief instant she considered simply popping the data card out, then going in search of a meal, but then made a quick search for Orbalisk instead. A dozen pages scrolled by on the viewer as it skipped the relevant section. Called Orbalisks by the local Nyctopopulus, one warrior recounted how he had been infested for nearly a full year before ridding himself of the creatures because they so disfigured him that he could not find a mate. This returns us to our earlier dilemma of how to define harmful and beneficial. Revisiting the previous discussion, we must now include capacity to find a mate in our discussions. Zana pulled her eyes back up to the top of the screen. One warrior recounted how he had been infested for nearly a full year before ridding himself of the creatures. In desperation, she typed in a new phrase, then hit search again. It is a fact generally assumed by most zoologists that orbalisks cannot be removed without killing the host. However, my research has revealed that an infested host can be cured, 
though the process is both dangerous and extremely complicated, as I will detail here. First, the host must be in excellent health. As one might expect, the very definition of excellent and even health must be expounded upon. She had found it. She had found it. Xana leapt to her feet, pumping a clenched fist in a quiet victory celebration, barely able to contain a fierce shout of triumph. And in her moment of elation, the spell, concealing her true identity, slipped. Xana quickly regained control, glancing to her left and right to see if anyone had noticed. Heart pounding, she slammed the personal data card Master Barra had given her into the terminal to copy over the Orbalisk article. Behind her, a voice said, Rain? What are you doing here? Okay, she pops in the last data card in the stack that she had, and she finds exactly what she is looking for. A doctor talking about creatures with some type of symbiotic nature. Xanon found how to rid her master of the Orbalisk. She jumped up in excitement, and when she did, the spell that cloaked her dark side nature slipped. She quickly regained her composure and the spell. Then she looked from side to side to see if anyone noticed. She grabbed the card that Master Bear had given her and quickly inserted it into the terminal to copy the file. Then she hears a voice from behind her say, Rain, what are you doing here? And this is when I would have lost my mind if I was her. How did anyone know my name? Let's see how this turns out. Daravit wandered along the wide aisle of the Jedi Archive's fourth hall overwhelmed by the sheer volume of knowledge in the stacks. He had briefly tried looking for information on the native flora and fauna of Rusan, hoping to broaden his knowledge so he could better help those who came to him for aid. He was used to a simpler world, however, and found the technology of the archives daunting. An analysis droid had explained how to use the search and retrieval systems to find information in the stacks, but his brisk tutorial had left Daravid even more confused than before. Other scholars were there, and he could have approached one of them to ask for help. But as a man who valued his own privacy, he was loath to interrupt theirs. Ultimately, he had simply started to wander up and down the aisle, waiting for Johan to return. Daravid was beginning to regret his decision to come to Coruscant. He had let himself get swept up in the moment by the Jedi Knight, the thoughts of stopping another war with a Sith appealing to the romantic ideals that had first led him to Rusan as a teenager. But those were the dreams of a child. He was older and wiser now. The Jedi moved through a world that was not his own. The concerns of an entire galaxy weighed upon their shoulders. Their decisions affected trillions of lives. Daravid didn't want that kind of responsibility. Surrounded by the grandeur and glory of the Archives, all he wanted was to return to his simple hut in the forest. Unfortunately, that might no longer be an option. He was here now, and Johan seemed determined to have him speak before the Jedi Council. To take his mind off his plight, he began to study the other scholars. They were all Jedi. Padawans and masters, young and old, human and otherwise. He noticed an attractive young woman with long, dark hair staring intently at her viewscreen, chewing on her lip as she delved into some work of academia. There was something familiar about her though Daravid was sure he had never met her before. Over the past decade, he hadn't met anyone except those few individuals who sought him out in his hut, and the woman certainly didn't look like she had come from the farms or villages of Rusan. He crept toward her, not wishing to interrupt her studies, but trying to figure out if he knew her. For several minutes, he watched her, 
She was obviously frustrated, unable to find what she was looking for in the data cards. Suddenly, she leapt up, clenching her fist victoriously, and Daravit felt a familiar presence wash over him. For the first ten years of his life, that presence had been at his side constantly. As children, they had shared a bond that went beyond being cousins. They were as close as brother and sister. And though the figure before him had black, not blonde hair, there was no doubt in Daravit's mind who she was. Rain? He called softly, so as not to startle her. What are you doing here? The woman spun to face him, her eyes wide. She stared at him blankly, unable to recognize the man she had last seen as a boy ten years before. Then her eyes dropped to the stump of his right hand, and her jaw fell agape. Tomcat? He nodded, then added, It's Daravit now, but sometimes I think I still like Tomcat better. You're a Jedi now? She said, confused by his presence in the archives. No, he answered quickly, unwilling to be mistaken for something he was not. We love bringing you more Star Wars, and it is because of our partners that we can do this week after week. So we invite you to be one of those partners. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us keep this going. Your support will give us the ability to create future episodes, as well as provide you with the best sounding show on your playlist. And to express our appreciation, we will give you a shout out on our mid-series show that we do in the middle of every book. You will also be automatically entered in all future giveaways. All you have to do is go to the show notes and click that listener support link. Now let's get back to the show. I stayed on Rusan after... after this. He held up his stump. I became a healer. What are you doing here? I came to... He stopped mid-sentence, suddenly realizing the danger Rain was in. The danger he had brought upon her. Rain, we have to get out of here. The Jedi are looking for you. Tomcat, what are you talking about? A Jedi came to Rusan. I told him about you and Bane. That's why they brought me here. The young woman's eyes glowed with pure hatred and anger. And for a second, Daravid thought she was going to kill him in the middle of the Jedi archives. How much do they know? She demanded. Tell me everything you told them. Rain, there isn't time, he protested. I'm just waiting here for them to come get me. They could be here any minute. You have to get out of here, or they'll find you. She turned and punched a key on the terminal. A small data card popped out. She snatched it up and stuffed it beneath her clothes. Then she grabbed him by the wrist and dragged him back down the aisle toward the central rotunda. She moved as quickly as she could without drawing attention, her pace something between a brisk walk and a run. Daravid made no move to resist, though he did ask, Where are we going? Tython, she whispered. I have to warn my master. They reached the rotunda, but instead of turning down the first hall and heading toward the exit, she led him into the third hall. What are you doing, Rain? Darvid asked, his voice rising slightly. We have to get going! One of the other scholars, an older woman with coppery red hair sitting in a nearby terminal, turned to stare at them, her attention drawn by Darvid's exclamations. Quiet, Tomcat! Rain shushed him nodding apologetically in the woman's direction. You're disturbing the other patrons. The old woman turned back to her view screen, dismissing them. Daravid's companion gave his arm a rough shake. I'm sorry, he whispered, just loud enough for her to hear. But you have to get out of here. 
Leave for Tython before they find you here. I don't know where Tython is. She snapped back through clenched teeth. We need to find a hyperspace route. Taking the terminal one down from the red-haired old woman, Rain punched a series of buttons. A second later, the screen came to life with a list of reference numbers. Got it, she said, shoving Darvin into the seat by the terminal's viewscreen. Wait here. She disappeared into the stacks, moving with the same half-walking, half-running stride. As Darvin waited for her to return, it occurred to him that his loyalties had suddenly shifted. He had been lured to Coruscant with the notion of helping the Jedi wipe out the Sith and prevent a war. But the abstract concept of widespread galactic suffering meant little when he had come face to face with his childhood friend. Now all he could think about was what would happen to Rain if she was caught, and he realized he was willing to do whatever it took to keep her safe. Less than a minute later, she returned and slapped a data card into the terminal. Leaning across Daravid, who was still seated in the chair. She tapped away at the controls until an image of a cloud-covered world appeared on the screen. I need to copy this, she said, pulling out the data card she had been using when he first saw her and jamming it into another slot on the terminal. Why not just take the original? Darvid asked. Sensors on the archive doors, she explained. Removing an original will set off alarms. The terminal beeped and the data card popped out, the copying complete. Xana stuffed it into her robes, then hauled Daravid up by his elbow. Let's go, before your friends show up. Not bothering to return the original back to the stacks, she half-led, half-pulled him away from the terminal. She whisked him to the rotunda, then down the main aisle of the first hall and out the exit, leaving the archives behind them. Okay, this part starts with Daravid looking for stuff to help him in his healing. After a while, he just starts wandering the great library, waiting for Johan to come and get him. While he waited, he thought about the situation, how he was swept up in the moment back on Rusan, but now he is here, and he would have to deal with whatever consequences came his way. This is when he notices a young woman staring at a terminal. She looked very familiar to him, but he couldn't know her. He hadn't seen a Jedi in years. But then she jumped up from her chair, and he felt a sensation. He knew that this was his cousin Rain. When he asked her what she was doing at the Jedi Temple, she turned to face him. At first, she didn't recognize who he was. Then she seen the stump where his hand used to be. Xana knew that this was her cousin. She was quick to ask him if he was a Jedi. Derivit tells her that he is no Jedi. He had stayed on Rusan after she had given him his stump. Okay, I'm sorry. If I was him and my cousin blew off my hand, even if it was to save me from death, I'm still gonna punch her in the face. You blow off my hand, that gets a hit in my book. Anyway, Derivit tells her why he is at the Jedi Temple. She looked at him like she could rip his soul from his body. Then she demands he tells her what he told the Jedi. He tells her that they have to get out of there. The Jedi are going to be looking for her. She tells him that they have to get to hyperspace lanes to Tython so she can warn her master. As she looks for the coordinates to Tython, Derivit realizes something. He had come here to warn the Jedi of the Sith, but now his only concern is to save his cousin. He gotta get her out of there. After she finds the hyperspace coordinates, she grabs him by the arm and they exit the archives. And that's where the chapter came to an end. I'm gonna say, even without any real action, it was a good chapter. But I don't understand how Derivit could ever think about saving her. How could he forgive her after she blew off his hand? Even if she did it to save him, that's just messed up. Now for the quote for this week, and I thought this quote went really well with this chapter. It comes to us from Marion Williamson, and she said, Forgiveness is not always easy. At times, it is more painful than the wound we suffer. But to forgive the one that inflicted it, and yet there is no peace without forgiveness. Derivit's instinct to protect his cousin outweighed his sense of self-preservation. 
That is because he had already forgiven her for what she had did. I will tell you from experience that holding a grudge only hurts you. If you want to succeed and reach your goals, you can't waste energy on anything negative. You need all of your energy to be positive and forgiving anyone who has wronged you allows you to have that positive energy. There's a reason that every wise teacher has a lesson about forgiveness. Every religion teaches us about the importance of forgiveness. It is the only way someone can truly be free to rid themselves of negative baggage and not forgiving is negative baggage. So forgive everyone that has wronged you and it will set you free to succeed. Okay, that's all we got for this episode. Join us next Wednesday for part 20. We hope to see you there. Thank you for listening to Sway. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can find us and subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening and may the force be with you. Sway was created by Keen Eye Shit and is a production of Pick Film Media. This show was produced by Quentin McDaniel, sound designed by Theodore Thompson, researched by Tammy Turner. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away.